Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Zechariah prophesied to Israel after the exiles returned from captivity in Babylon. And along with Haggai, he encouraged the people to rebuild the temple. Zechariah also prophesied about the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ as well. And so our theme is, your king is coming. Make it personal. God is sending Jesus. Your king is coming soon. Now, while the exiles were waiting for their Messiah, their king to come the first time, they had work to do. They had to work to build the temple. And the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need a little work on our temple as well. And they also had to be of the right heart and mind. And so do we. As we prepare for the second coming of Christ, we need to be ready as well. And so this series, Zechariah had many strange and unusual visions. And here is the first one that we began last week. Zechariah 1 verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. During the night I had a vision, and there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine, and behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have gone throughout the earth and have found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And then the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim this further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again Overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. So for the sake of review, the the points that we did last week, knowing that our king is coming, number one, we need the word of the Lord to come to us. We need a deeper revelation of God's word, and we must have the Lord speak to our hearts through his word during this time. Number two, we must search out the signs and symbolism in Zechariah and Revelation and other books of the Bible. In this vision, Zechariah saw a man riding a red horse. A red horse is also mentioned in Revelation as well as later on in Zechariah, which we will study. It's not easy to understand end time prophecy. That is why we must study it over and over again. In fact, number three, there is a promise of blessing when we study the scriptures. 
This is especially true when we study the book of Revelation. Why is it so important to study the Bible? Why is it so important to be up, up to speed on the end times? Because the Bible warns us that, number four, in the end times there will be a deep deception and a great falling away. This is why it's so important that we become well-versed in God's word, that we know and understand the times that we're in and how they correlate to end times. We must know the truth so we won't be deceived by a lie. So who were the riders on the horses? This is where we left off. It says, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. You know, God is well aware of everything that is going on in the whole earth. In fact, ultimately, number five, God controls world events. Nothing catches God by surprise. This whole mess in Afghanistan did not catch God by surprise. May have caught some other people by surprise, but God saw it coming. And so because we know God saw it coming, we can have hope and confidence that God is going to work everything out according to his will. God is in control. We say that, but do we believe that? He's in control of world events. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to panic because God knows. And we see this, this description of God, how, how he is so powerful and, and knows everything and controls all that's going on in the world. He is sovereign over the earth. Daniel spoke on this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 in the New Living Translation. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. God knows everything. He is in control. He raises up kings and he removes world leaders. God is in control of world events. He has dictated what will happen, and it will happen. Those things we are witnessing right now have been prophesied to come. This is what's amazing about what's going on in our world today. Open your Bible. It's coming alive right here, right now. And we're going we're gonna to study that through Zechariah, how we see the signs and, and the, of the times and what God is doing. You see, the Lord controls the course of world events, and, and eventually everything will come to light. We don't know everything right now. We're limited in our knowledge. God is not limited in his knowledge. He knows all things. And eventually, things will come to light. It won't remain hidden for long. Eventually, it will be known. When I went to Bible college in Dallas, Texas, at Christ for the Nations, it is a missions and worship minded school and so their their emphasis was on missions and this is where I got my fire and my heart and my passion for missions and in fact to graduate from the school you had to go on a missions trip and so there were many trips offered after my first year and I I chose the most dangerous the most difficult one it was a missions trip to Italy <laughs> you may say yeah that's was that a missions trip I mean it's like taking a missions trip to Hawaii you know hey they need Jesus too I'm telling you what so it was a beautiful trip. We got to live with the Italian people, and we ministered mainly in these small Assembly of God churches, little tiny Assembly of God churches. 
And so we had this opportunity to really live with the people and to get to know them. And so me and my best friend, we had a team, but my best friend Ken and I, we, we were close together. And, and the, the people had asked of the church for us to go visit members of the church throughout that little town in Italy. And so Ken and I went on this tour to visit the church members. And at every place we went, they would offer us a baseball size of mozzarella cheese. It was, I guess it was customary that if anybody came to visit, you got a ball of mozzarella cheese. I'm telling you, by the sixth or seventh house, I had had too much mozzarella cheese. And they had told us, you have to eat it or they'll be offended. Whatever they give you, you have to eat it. Well, now we've got six baseball-sized mozzarella cheeses in our stomach, and Ken and I are looking at each other with another ball of mozzarella cheese, and we're like, I can't. I tried to get him to eat mine. He says, no, here, you eat it. We could not eat it, and so we didn't know what to do. And so we stuffed it in the couch of the person. <laughs> we, we, didn't, we couldn't think of anything else. I, I still feel bad to this day, because you know what? That cheese would eventually be revealed. In time, they would know, all oh, those ornery American teenagers. See, eventually, all things will be revealed. Things that will raise a stink will be revealed. And God is in control. The Life Application Bible says this about this passage. When we see evil leaders who live long and good leaders who die young, we may wonder if God is still in control. Daniel saw evil rulers with almost limitless power, but he knew that God removes kings and sets others on the throne, and that he controls everything that happens. God governs the world according to his purposes. You may be dismayed when you see evil people prosper, but God is in control. Let this knowledge give you confidence and peace no matter what happens. Now, God is in control of world events. However, he is also searching every human heart. And so God has this macro view of the whole world from beginning to end. But he also has this micro view of you and me. Isn't that amazing about the power of God, the knowledge of God? Not only does he know and control world events, he knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows your heart. He knows your desires. He knows your struggles. And so, number six, God knows every human heart. He is in control of world events, but he knows every individual heart. And though he's sovereign over the earth, we still have a free will. And we also have a personal responsibility for how we exercise that free will. You see, God is sovereign. He is in control. But within that, humanity has a free will. They can go against God. Ultimately, God's will will come to pass because God is ultimately in control. But at the same time, we have free will. Our leaders have free will. And we will be held accountable. And so will they for how they exercise that free will. And if a world leader comes up against God, they're going to lose because God will have his will. God is sovereign and he has given us the free will. And though he is in control, we still have personal responsibility. And God will hold them responsible. In fact, the Bible 
cautions us in James chapter 3 that not everybody should be a leader or a teacher because we will be judged more strictly, more severely. And so leaders will be held accountable for their actions. God sees that all that is going out on in the world and, and the Lord is looking out for his own. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so heavy-hearted by what we're seeing in Afghanistan. I, I just can't take my eyes off the news. What a devastation. And one of the, the, the greatest uh, things that moves me is the testimony of Christians that are still in Afghanistan, missionaries who are in Afghanistan. There's, there are Christians there that are saying, we are ready to die for Jesus Christ. Even still, the Lord is looking out for his own. Even if they become martyrs, God is looking out for his people. Look at 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Lord is looking at your heart. He is looking at my heart. And he's looking for people who are sold out for Jesus, who are on fire for God, who are committed to follow the Lord with all our, heart, with our hearts. God is looking all through the earth for those who belong to him. And he wants to strengthen us, especially during these dark times. God is keenly cognizant of world events, but he, is, he pays attention toward each and every person and the condition of their hearts. God sees all that's going on in the world, and he sees all that's going on in our lives. Look at Psalm 33, 13. I don't just pull these statements out of the air. They come from God's word. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. God has formed our hearts and he weighs and judges and considers how we live our life. But that's how much he knows us and that also says how much he cares for us. God cares for you and for me. His eyes are on the world and they're also on us. Now after 37 years of marriage, I, have, I can read Jolene's mind by reading her eyes. Those gorgeous green eyes that stole my heart so many years ago. I, I know when I'm doing good, and I know when I'm a dead man walking. I can just tell in those eyes. She's on camera today, but when she sits in the front row every now and then, I'll glance over there, and I'll, I'll get the message. You're going too far with that little illustration. Don't you dare tell that story. And so... I can read her mind by reading her eyes. The eyes of the Lord are mentioned twice in Zechariah. First of all, in Zechariah 3.9. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I'll remove the sin of this land in a single day. And look at Zechariah 4.10. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Is that just blow your mind? What is this? Vision of seven eyes. Well, it's also mentioned in Revelation. Remember, we interpret scripture with scripture. We compare scripture with other scripture. 
And just like there's a red horse in Zechariah and in Revelation, there are seven eyes in Zechariah and seven eyes in Revelation. Look at Revelation 5, 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent throughout the earth. Are you like me, just like, what in the world is that? Now, I don't have time to talk about the seven horns, the seven eyes, or the seven spirits of God. Maybe three years from now, when I get to chapter three, I can work on that. But this is why we, there's such mystery here. What does that mean? The seven eyes of the Spirit of the Lord. These messengers in Zechariah had a purpose. The riders on the different colored horses reported back to the angel of the Lord. They had been throughout the earth and they reported back to the angel of the Lord. Now this is important. This phrase, the angel of the Lord, is used over 50 times in the Old Testament. And it's very unique. It's different than just an angel. The word angel simply means messenger. And so there are angels of God. But then there is the angel of the Lord. That's more specific. The first time it is used is in the story of Hagar, which we studied a few months ago. Look at Genesis 16:7. This is the first time the phrase is used, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And so who is the angel of the Lord? Number seven, the angel of the Lord is Christ. We, we see this throughout scripture. Jesus has always been and always will be. Sometimes you, Jesus didn't just come on the scene when he was born in a manger. He has always existed. He's the creator of the world. John 1.1, 1, 1, he's the word that created all things. In Colossians, it speaks of Jesus as the creator of all things. And so Jesus has always been, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. And that gives us faith to realize he was active in the world events, even in the Old Testament. The NIV Study Bible says, traditional Christian interpretation has held that this angel was a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ as God's messenger servant. And so when Jesus became a human being, that's called the incarnation, when God took on human flesh. But Jesus existed before the incarnation. He has always been, the Bible says, book of Revelation, he is the alpha and the what? The omega, the beginning and the end. He has always been and always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whenever you're reading through the Old Testament, and it'll, you'll catch it, when you see the angel of the Lord, it usually represents Jesus Christ. So think of that as you read, especially through the book of Zechariah. It's mentioned all sorts of times. Here is the report that was given by the writers to the angel of the Lord. They found the whole world at rest and in peace. Now that sounds good. It sounds good that the writer said the, the whole world is at rest, the whole world is at peace. 
but it was a peace that wouldn't last. You have to understand, Babylon conquered Judah and, and took them into captivity. And then the Persian Empire conquered Babylon. And so whoever the world power was, they weren't for long. It was an artificial peace, a man-made peace, a worldly peace. And so number eight, we need to caution ourselves, beware of a false peace. In the end times, the Antichrist will say that there is, he'll bring peace to the world, peace to the earth. But beware, there is a man-made peace that is not from God. The Bible warns again and again about this false peace in the last days. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's another phrase that's used to speak of the coming of the Lord. He'll come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety destruction will come upon them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I thought of a few illustrations about labor pains, but I'm not going there. I don't want to see those fiery green eyes. So, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So for those who don't know God, it'll be like a thief in the night. But for those who know the Lord, we will not be caught by surprise. We will not know the day or the hour, but we may know the season. We may know that the coming of Christ is near. And so we have to be watching. We have to be watchful. And when the world leaders talk about peace, you know that there will be no peace until Jesus comes back again and sets up his kingdom. At this time, the Persian Empire was the world power. They were the superpower of the day. But they were going to be conquered by Alexander the Great and Greece. And so the Wearsby Bible Commentary says this. The messengers reported that the Gentile nations were at rest and in peace. After the upheaval of empires and Persia's conquest of Babylon and other nations... This would appear to be an encouraging report, but it really wasn't. The Jewish remnant was in distress, and while the Gentile powers were at ease, Haggai had promised that the Lord would shake the nations and redeem his people, but this important event hadn't occurred yet. And so while the world was saying, peace, everything's fine, don't worry, God knew there was something else going on. Persia thought they had brought peace to the world, but they were conquered. The only peace we will have is through Christ. And even in the midst of war and conflict, we can have personal peace. Number nine, my last point today. Only Jesus offers true peace. No matter what chaos, and there is chaos going on in the world today. No matter what turmoil, no matter what catastrophe is going on in the world, we can have peace. We should not fret about world events. We should pray. We should ask God to intervene. But it shouldn't shake us like it does the rest of the world. People are living in fear. I, I really believe one of the, the best indicators that we know 
that, that we are in a right place with God is that we overcome fear. Now, fear will come. Sometimes we can't, we can't stop fear from coming, but we can stop fear from living in our hearts. It may come, but we must overcome fear. Regardless of what is happening in the world, what, regardless of what is happening in your life, we can still have peace in our hearts. There can be chaos on the outside, and yet there can be absolute calm on the inside. I, I don't know about you, but I want that calm. I want to be able to live that way where the things that happen that come against us, and you know what? Everybody has struggles. Everybody goes through trials and tribulations. And it, me as your pastor, I am no exception. Our, we go through trials and tribulations as well. We go through difficult times. And the challenge for us as Christians is to not lose our peace of mind and our peace of heart. There is a world peace and there is a peace from God. And there's a difference between the two. And if we're honest, probably most of us are looking for a worldly peace. We're looking for an absence of problems. Wouldn't you love it if all your problems went away? You had no problems, no financial challenges, no relationship breakdowns. You know, if, if we just, that's what we want in our life is an absence of problems. If I could just get rid of certain things or get rid of certain people out of my life, then I would have peace. The reality is, there is a peace that you can have even with all those problems. And it's a peace that lasts. You know this scripture, John 14, 27, but let me read it in the Amplified Bible. This is a promise I want you to hold on to. Tomorrow when you go to work and you find that stress, or when you go to the doctor and get that bad news, I want you to hold on to this scripture. We've got to hold on to it because peace is something that doesn't come easily for us. We're used to living in stress and in anxiety and turmoil. We, we've got to take control of our heart and minds through the power of Christ. Look at John 14, 27 in the Amplified. Jesus said these words, Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We, we have some responsibility over the fear. We can overcome it, but we must do it. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. Peace is a gift from Jesus, but we have to take that gift for ourselves. We have to believe it, we have to apply it to our lives. We have to choose not to be agitated. We have to choose not to be afraid. We can't allow ourselves to be fearful and intimidated and unsettled in this life. So I wanna ask you today, do you have that kind of peace? That peace in your heart? that no matter what's happening in your life, you know it's gonna be okay because God is in control. You know you can trust him. No matter what happens in the world or in your world, you can have a peace that passes understanding 
through Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me today? Close your eyes. I want to pray for those who need peace. You're going through turmoil. There's fear. There's uncertainty. There's anxiety. Whatever it may be in your life, the, the, the sense of conflict, sense of chaos, it may be physical, it may be something else. But if you need peace today, you, you're really in a place where you need this peace that Jesus promised. Would you just slip up your hand because I want to pray for you today. You need peace today. Yes. Yes. You can put your hands back down. I want to thank you for raising your hands because that's a step of faith. You're acknowledging that you need peace and you're acknowledging that Jesus has the power to bring it. So I want to pray for you. Lord, you saw every hand that was raised. My heart is burdened for your people. God, there are people that are struggling in their relationships. There are those that are battling the financial struggles. Lord, there are those that are going through fear. Sometimes they don't even know why. And their heart is not at rest. Their mind is in turmoil and confusion. But Jesus, you said, I came to give you peace, not like the world, not like the rest of the world brings peace, because that's a false peace. It's a temporary peace. It will not last. But Jesus, you bring a peace that will carry us through every trial and tribulation. But we bear a responsibility. We got to hold on to that gift. We got to confess with our mouths the word of God. We have to profess our faith. And so, Lord, everyone that raised their hand, I pray in the name of Jesus, they would lay hold of the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And even if their circumstances don't change, that they will still be secure in you. They won't be afraid. They won't live in worry. They won't live in dread. Lord, we, we want to grab hold of that peace, Jesus, that you promised. But too often we're looking for a worldly peace that will never satisfy and Lord, we also pray for what is going on in Afghanistan. Lord, in the name of Jesus, it's gripped our hearts. And Lord, there are believers there. There are missionaries there. Lord, there are people from other nations, our own nation as well. God, we just pray in Jesus' name for the end of the evil in the name of Jesus. And Lord, if there are Christians that are going to be martyrs, Lord, I pray that their testimony would go throughout the earth, Lord. God, we, we have it so good compared to much of the rest of the world. And so, Lord, I just pray your peace would settle over this earth. Your peace would settle over our hearts. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word, to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. 
You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.